Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're discussing what counts as reading. Y'all want to talk about this all the time, all the time. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to give you the final answers on this. And also, we're interviewing author Annalie Newitz, who has a new book out that y'all should definitely be checking out. But first, what are you reading, Bria? I've been using a book for research that I think you've already read, and I kind of wanted to just shout it out on the show um, that is super awesome. Um, and we should have her on the show. I don't think we did. Um it is uh, Monster, She Wrote, The Women Who Pioneered Horror and Speculative Fiction. Oh, by Lisa Kroger and Mel- Melanie Anderson? Yes. I didn't yeah. realize there were even two authors for some weird reason. Um, That's because Goodreads is not great. Uh, there's a lot of the online like book tracking system as a whole is not great about co-authors. Yeah. So often it will leave one of them out. Yeah, definitely. I think I follow Lisa Kroger, but I don't follow Melanie or Anderson, um, which is totally my oversight um but yeah i i just i i bought this book because i've been doing just some research for um some uh stuff i'm developing and i just thought it'd be helpful but it's also so cleverly written and i find i'm highlighting so much stuff um and basically what they're doing is they go through and they're like i mean obviously this is of interest to to mallory but they go through and they're like here's all these women who um created in the horror and genre space like that we don't talk about obviously we do talk about like mary shelley and mallory and i yeah, mallory literally has the book right there um it's very, it's also like a very physically adorable book yeah totally totally but it we you know mallory and i talk about like mary shelley or shirley jackson a lot um but also like they shout out people that i didn't even know about like back in like victorian and gothic writers um but then they also do today's kind of today more updated ones i haven't gotten to those yet but um uh yeah just a really great little um non-fiction book uh if for anybody who's interested in the horror genre i think should definitely be picking this up so cool um what are you reading molly i am reading a graphic novel that i think that you would really like and has made me realize something in my wheelhouse that i I might something that might i might have to add to my wheelhouse Uh, it's called this was our pact by ryan andrews uh and my boyfriend loved this last year and really wanted me to read it and it's this adorable graphic novel about this group of kids and they live in this town and like every year um there's a festival and like a celebration where the Everybody in the town takes these beautiful paper lanterns and puts candles in them and then leaves them in the river to and then puts them in the river to like uh, go down to the sea. Um, And it's like really cute and magical. And these kids every year, they try to follow the uh, on their bikes, the the lanterns um, down the river. And this year they're like, okay, we're really going to do it. We're going to go as far as we possibly can. To find, to find out where the lanterns go because they want to know what happens to them. Do they turn into stars? Do they something magical? Do they just sink to the bottom of the river? They want to know. Um, but one by one, the kids start dropping out because they're hungry. They want to go home, mm-hmm. like whatever. And it ends up being these two kids, with one of them, the main character and this boy that kind of everyone sort of makes fun of. He's like the kid that nobody wants to play with but he's the the other one that's like the one who wants to to go the full journey and they end up in and it immediately turns into like very fantastical and it sort of becomes like an Alice in the best way I can describe it is like it's Alice in Wonderland kind of thing where yeah. like you are going like um the hike by Drew McGarry where it's like two people one or two people on a journey but like it's like each chapter is like a new fantastical creature or a place that they're going to and they meet all these like uh that's the only way i can describe it it's like an alice in wonderland kind of journey Hmm. um 
The art is absolutely amazing. They meet all these like, there's a talking bear character, which is what, wow. what Jer- how Jeremy sold me on it. Um, and it's he's a, he's a fisherman and it's, it's adorable. But there's all these like magical characters they meet and it's just such a beautiful, adorable, I read it in one sitting. I loved it so much, but I think I love like, there's got to be a way, there's got to be a better word for it, but like Alice in Wonderland journeys where you meet fantastical creatures. Yes. Give me that, especially yeah. if there's talking bears. That was, this is our pact by Ryan Andrews. And mine is Monster She Wrote, The Women Who Pioneered Horror and Speculative Fiction by Lisa Kroger and Melanie R. Anderson. So we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Roxanne wrote in about audiobooks. Libby has been such a huge help to me in 2020, especially when it comes to audiobooks. I have been working through Barack Obama's most recent memoir, which is a honker. I know. Jeremy listened to it. It's like 45 hours long oh my or God. bonkers. <laughs> It's, I was like, babe, listening to this audiobook is like your full-time job now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but Roxanne says, I knew I wouldn't be able to finish it with just one checkout, so I kept making notes in my phone about where I stopped. Recently, I found out that Libby keeps your place in audiobooks. That's right, when it I does. Checked out, that's so fucking cool. Uh, when I checked out the audiobook the second time, it opened up to the exact chapter and place where I had stopped listening. It's a very cool feature. P.S. Thank you so much for the perfect book, Rex, for my technical-minded pilot friend, Fred, oh, yeah. who lives in the woods with his two big dogs. I'm going to get him a copy of each for his birthday this year since I wasn't quite organized enough around the holidays. You two are incredible humans. Thank you, Roxanne. I'm glad that you liked the Rex for Fred. Um, people may correct me if I'm wrong, but I do think also Libby keeps your place in your um, uh kindle ebooks uh, ebooks yeah yeah my library does if i check out a book and then i um uh return it before i have the due date and then check it out again it will have kept my place also i have gotten books from the library and i open it up and it's like on page like it's like 10 percent of the way through the book and i'm like why would it start there and i'm like oh it's because i've already tried to read this book before (laughs) that's hilarious what can't libby do Mm -hmm. libby is here for all your reading needs (laughs) Um, Alexis wrote in with a wheelhouse. I'm on the last book of HDM and it took me so what's HDM? His dark material. Oh, got it, got it. And it took me so long because my mom thought it was Satanism. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> no comment. Uh, I understand your love for Lorik so much. The scenes when he walked uh uh, when the scene when he walked away from from Lyra was so sad, it, and it gave me a lot of feelings. This series is becoming one of my favorites. I'm glad I started it, and part of the reason is you guys. Thank you so much. Okay, so the wheelhouse is found family, anything queer, fantasy elements, fae, journeys, ladies who can kick my ass. So specific, uh, <laughs> specific to you. Uh, vulnerable men who feel things. Immortal magical jerk wizards who are often soft for naive who are soft for naive people. Meaning they take, they like naive people? Yeah, so it's a, an immortal wizard who's grumpy and jerky, but if there's like a naive uh, person, they're, they're like, like I'll oh take God, I have to help them. Yeah, okay, okay. And Greek mythology. Love it. Glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. HDM. If you are someone who loves found family stuff, His Dark Materials is the the series for you. And that makes me really excited that my obsessive love for the series is... <laughs> spilling over and inspiring other people to read it. Uh, so you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com if you want a list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month, plus an additional recommendation from me and Bria that we don't talk about on the show. Special extra recs for you every month. You can sign up for our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. We've gotten a couple people who have emailed us and be like, hey, I want the newsletter. 
uh, don't email us. There's a link in the show notes that you can just put your email right in and it, then you are signed up and it's awesome. Also a reminder for folks, our 200th episode is coming up, which is completely bonkers, but to uh, celebrate, we're going to do a special AMA episode. So if you have questions for us about our reading lives, our personal lives, our snack lives, our drinking lives, our cats, anything you want to know, you can ask us, uh, just email it to reading glasses podcast at gmail.com. Before we talk about what counts as reading, we're going to take a quick break. So, Bria, can you name some good things about Birthday Party the Dog? Birthday Party the Dog not only has a fun name, but she has a fun personality. She's a real good time to have around. She's very enthusiastic. She likes to sleep next to me. And uh, she's also loyal, you know, because she's a dog. But what are some not-so-great things about Birthday Party the dog? Well, there are some problems with having a dog that is quite old. Birthday Party's 14 years old, at least. And she's also uh, a mixed breed, some sort of poodle mix. I don't know what the mix is. And she has a lot of skin problems, leading to a lot of smells. Meaning, I have to wash this dog at least once a week. Sometimes I need to wash her more than once a week um, because she is a very smelly dog. And she loves to get into gross stuff and roll in it. Uh, so that also presents a problem. So I would say number one bad thing about her is the smell. Well, luckily, Reading Glasses is sponsored in part this week by Scout's Honor. I love Scout's Honor. Scout's Honor's probiotic grooming products are a scientifically proven natural solution for treating your pet's skin problems. And when applied to the skin, probiotics support healthy bacteria and fight against bad bacteria, which cause irritation. And one thing I love that Scouts Honor has is a spray. They have this probiotic spray that I can put on my dog in the morning after we go outside. And it smells good and it keeps her her, her skin uh, feeling good. And it, it means that she's way less irritated and way less itchy than she normally is. Yeah, I think my favorite part about Scouts Honor is their their scents, actually, mm. because they're, they're, they're scents that you normally only see for, like, human bath products. They're, like, they're not cloying. They're, like, it's, like, oh, sandalwood or honeysuckle. They're really, I mean, besides smelling really, really good, they're not overpowering. They're, like, oh, lavender. They, mm-hmm. They're just, like, more, more natural smelling than some other products out there. Yeah, it's the kind of stuff that a dog would actually get in. Uh, you want your dog to roll in. It's the opposite of the stuff the dog normally rolls in, but it's the kind of stuff that naturally your dog might end up smelling like if they ran through a, a lovely field of honeysuckles. <laughs> I just sort of imagine birthday the dog strolling down the aisles of a, of a uh, uh, pharmacy and thinking that these would be the fragrances that she would pick out for herself. Definitely. So to receive 20% off your first order, you can go to scoutshonor.com slash glasses. So remember that's scouts with a K at scoutshonor.com slash glasses for 20% off your order. Scouts Honor, natural and preventative grooming solutions for pets. Glasses. Hey, I'm Janet Varney, host of the JV Club podcast. Ah, oh, high school. Was it a time of adventure, romance, and discovery? Class of 95, we did it! Or a time of angst, disappointment, and confusion. We're all tied together by four years of trauma at this place, but enjoy adulthood, I guess. The truth is, it was both. So join me on the JV Club podcast where I invite some great friends like Kristen Bell, Angela Kinsey, Oscar Nunez, Neil Patrick Harris, and Keegan-Michael Key to talk about high school, the good, the bad, and everything in between. My teenage mood swings are getting harder to manage. 
The JV Club. Find it on Maximum Fun. This week, we have gotten so many listener questions about what should and should not count towards your reading goals that we decided to dedicate an entire episode to it. It's like it's like deal or no deal, but book or not book, reading or not reading. Yeah, I'm holding a suitcase full of books. <laughs> and you're like, which one has the books in it? I have a suitcase full of books. It's very obvious which one has the books in it because it's very heavy. <laughs> we need we need some buzzers. That's mm-hmm. what we really need. Great. Uh, first off, uh, we we get you. We get why we're doing this episode. Um, you're all a little bunch of trackers, little reading trackers and book counters and bean counters, and you want to know exactly how many jelly beans are in that jar over there. I, now I'm off track, but uh, basically y'all are into <laughs> How many books counting. are in that jar? <laughs> you're into counting. You're achievers like Mallory and I, which I get. Look, we, we're, we're on the same boat as you. We run this podcast. We understand. So... Uh, if you read something as big as a book, or maybe you love something as much as a book, you you want it to count towards your reading goals, and that's one of the things we're talking about today. Um, and maybe Goodreads disagrees with you. We're going to talk about that, too. Basically, we're here to absolve you of all this guilt, all the stress, and tell you how to count this shit so you can feel like you have done the thing, or maybe how to let go of the counting, which may be the bigger thing. Uh, so one of the questions we got was from Anna, who wrote in asking, in December, I was checking my Goodreads to make sure I added everything that I read in 2020, and I remembered that I'd spent a lot of time reading webcomics. So I looked them up on Goodreads. Some of them had actually been published in phys- physical form at some point, so I simply added the volumes I had read. Others haven't been published in that way, so they kept being deleted from Goodreads for not being books, and then re-uploaded by people who read them. Since they're ongoing comics, it's impossible to say that I have quote-unquote finished them, but many arcs, in- but many have arcs and quote-unquote seasons. So what do you think? Should webcomics be added to Goodreads or other reading apps of our choice? Can we once and for all declare that reading webcomics is reading? Bria, what do you think? Well, first I wanted to tell people if they aren't familiar with webcomics, because these have been around for actually a long time, longer than Mallory. They've been around longer than Mallory. The first one was in 1985. (laughs) I I don't know what year you were born, but I think it's after 1985. It is after 1985. Wow. Yeah. Longer than Mallory webcomics. Um, and if you're not familiar with them, th- so think they're comics, but on the web. And a lot of them are much shorter. So instead of having 24 pages of com- comics, they might release one page, but like once a week or one page once a month. They kind of make their own schedules um, and are usually being put up by the author or the artist or sometimes the per- a lot of times this is an author slash artist. Um, and they're a great thing to support because – you're reading this problem, this person who's distributing it themselves and you're getting it from them directly, which is awesome. It's a great way. Like we can actually just get our comics out there. We can get our art out there. It's awesome. I love that this reader is reading a lot of them. Um, and it makes sense to me that, which is something we're going to get into, but that web comics are not on Goodreads because web comics are generally free and Goodreads is designed to make money. So <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but yes, that makes sense. They're not on there, but yes, you should count these as reading. This is reading, and comics are reading. Comics are great, great source of reading, great kind of reading, and a great kind of art. So I, I think you should absolutely count these as reading. I would say, yeah, add them to Goodreads. If you have the time to fight that battle and put these things on Goodreads, I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, but if you're just trying to add this for yourself, uh, Mallory and I both keep journals of what we read. I think adding these as a, a journal or 
putting a big number on your wall or writing it into the sand. I don't know I however that. you need to keep just it like a Like one of those things at a factory that's like how many days without an injury, but just like <laughs> yeah. a giant flip How many webcomics like have I read? Uh, yeah, Amazing. something like that. And I would say you read, you know, X amount of webcomics this year. And I like the idea of doing it based on uh, uh, the season because a lot of times they'll do them as a season or whatever. Or you could do it by the amount of time you spent. So if you're like, oh, I read webcomics, um, you know, for five minutes every day. I mean, y'all... That, over the course of a year, that's a lot of time. So, I mean, like something like that is also something you could be tracking as minutes, which I know a lot of our reader, listeners do track the minutes that they read. Um, it's tough to track, but I think saying, look, I read this comic this year, and even if you didn't finish it, that's enough because webcomics are so nebulous as far as like what counts as a series or a season. Um, I think just keeping that in your reading is great. And sometimes they do get published as books. Um and I think you're always allowed to go back and and add that once they get put onto Goodreads or something. But yes, this is reading. Reading is reading. Uh, Mallory, I think you're yep. going to agree with me. Yeah, I think the one thing that really needs to happen for folks, especially folks that are, um, you know, anxious about this sort of question, whether it's webcomics, whether it's whatever it is, uh, that people need to separate what counts as reading from what counts as a book. Those are yeah. not necessarily uh-huh. the Great. same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned in the past show that I basically, I think basically anything you read counts as reading if you want it to, if you want to track it or count an arc or a, or a season of a webcomic, go for it. You know, fan fiction, that's novel length, go for it. Your monthly issue of National Geographic, sure. You know, whatever. Reading is reading is reading. At the end of the year, maybe your tracker looks like 50 books, 10 arcs of whatever webcomic, 12 issues of National Geographic. That's a lot of reading. And yes, it's all fucking reading. And Goodreads doesn't control us. Yeah, and what's <laughs> interesting, if you think about it, I mean, it's not like, look, a lot of these webcomics become books. So there's no magical thing that when something gets printed into a book and and has like suddenly a cover that it's reading, you know, and obviously you would count that yes. as a book. So, I mean, and the National Geographics, if you suddenly, you know, bound them all together, that doesn't make them more reading than if they are not bound together into, you know, 12. 12 issues, 12 separate issues. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, you made a really good point that, you know, part of the point of Goodreads is to sell books. And in order to get on Goodreads or most reading apps, a book needs to have an ISBN number, uh, which stands for International Standard Book Number, which we will do an episode about. That's the, you know, if you look on the back of a a print book and like the little barcode and the number underneath that, that's the ISBN number. Uh, And from the point of a view point of view of a reading app it would be pretty difficult to add things to your system that aren't standardized with something like an isbn number that being said is there a case to be made for letting the public add fan fiction and web comics to reading apps we've actually had a couple people write in to say that goodreads does allow some um fan fictions that are novel length to be added and that's fine what do you yeah. think yeah, no, I think so. I mean, look, and I think crowdsourcing for this kind of stuff is really good. I Most of us are using Goodreads to either track our reading or find what to read next. And what if there is a great fan fiction out there waiting for me and it fits my wheelhouse and it would be perfect for me, but I never discover it because I rely on Goodreads for all my recs. I mean, that's, that is not a great system. And we need a system that will introduce me to the next great web comic or whatever so that way I can if if it includes a woman on a journey it needs to be recommended to me if I'm only using Goodreads uh, which also I guess is an argument for us to be looking for recommendations <laughs> outside of a place like Goodreads as well and, and what do you think yeah absolutely why not who cares we're all gonna fucking die at some point like do whatever you know I honestly just don't think it matters that much and this is it's one of the many issues I have with public reading apps um it's you know there's so much 
anxiety and it's, it's so fraught, like what gets to get counted on Goodreads, you know? Um, but why does it actually matter to have something count as reading? Uh, we're going to answer this question after a quick break. You can always send your thoughts to Reading Glasses Podcast at gmail.com. You know when you wake up in the morning and the sun is shining through the window and it says, good morning, Bria. And then I don't even need a coffee because I've slept so well. And then I walk into the street and there's a musical playing and little birds start tweeting because I've slept so great the night before. Have you ever had that happen, Mallory? I have now. (laughs) Because thankfully, this episode is brought to you in part by Coma Inducer Comforters. These comforters are amazing. I have one in a beautiful dark gray. It is so comfortable. It's very huge. It is giant. I sleep on a queen size bed, but this thing is way bigger than that. You can curl up in it at night. It is like the most comforting, warm sleep you will ever have. I love this thing and I wake up feeling incredibly refreshed after sleeping with it all night. Yeah, I I actually have started using this. I mean, we sleep, we sleep with it every night but it's also my new favorite reading blanket because I'll like get in bed and like pull it around myself and it's so comfy and warm that it's just like the makes the perfect little like nest for yourself Mm -hmm. for reading Mm -hmm. it is fantastic and it's great again we've talked about this before but our cats love it say as soon as I get in bed with it Sailor and Lula are like oh it's time for a snuggle. They, they'll, they'll stay in bed longer than I do. Thank God they don't have jobs. <laughs> that is their job, sleeping on the on the comforter. What color did you get, Mallory? Of course, you know, I got black. But nice. there, there are many different black options, which I was very excited about. But the, the comforters are so cute. I remember when they first contacted us and we were looking through the comforters and both of us were like, there's so many comforters to choose from. How are we going to pick? So many. Every color you could possibly want. You can get bright colors. You can get animal print colors. I go with a dark gray because I like keeping everything in my bedroom a dark gray, a real neutral color and it is perfect it goes with my sheets it also mine came with um with pillow covers too pillow shams so i have these really comfortable pillow shams that my cat likes to sleep on during the day while i am not in bed and they're so i will say they're so soft and plush you know that my cat sailor likes to nurse on things sailor as soon as we put the the pillow covers on these pillows sailor immediately was like is this a large mom cat should i nurse on this so we had to take it away from him do you need a mom cat at your house? Order these comforters. <laughs> if you've always dreamed about sleeping on Totoro's belly, this comforter is for you. And so if you want to enjoy incredible Totoro-like sleep, visit comainducer.com slash glasses to receive free shipping on any order. Once again, that's coma, C-O-M-A, inducer, I-N-D-U-C-E-R.com slash glasses to receive free shipping on any order. Glasses. Video games. Video games. Video games. You like them? Maybe you wish you had more time for them. Maybe you want to know the best ones to play. Maybe you want to know what happens to Mario when he dies. (laughs) In that case, you should check out Triple Click. It's a podcast about video games. A podcast about video games? But I don't have time for that. Sure you do. Once a week, Kickback as three video game experts give you everything from critical takes on the hottest new releases to scoops, interviews, and explanations about how video games work to fascinating and sometimes weird stories about the games we love. Triple Click is hosted by me, Kirk Hamilton. Me, Jason Schreier. And me, Maddie Myers. You can find Triple Click wherever you get your podcasts and listen at MaximumFun.org. Bye! 
Bye. We're back. So all these questions about what counts as reading, you know, why does it matter? And I, I really think we have to get down to the heart of this. Uh, like, why do you read? Why are we reading in the first place? You know, I read because I either want to understand myself better or because I want to understand the world better. And all my reason reading vacillates between those two goals. Plus, obviously, I really fucking love reading. Um, but sometimes things other than books do that for me. You know, I talked in, before the break about National Geographic because I love my Nat Geo subscription. I've had it since I was 16 years old. Um, but I think it's really important for folks to think about, like, why you're tracking your reading and differentiating, differentiating between what is and isn't a book. What is your goal? Are you trying to read more books or do more reading? And I don't think those are always the same thing. Mm. You know what? It, does that make sense? What do you think? Um... Yeah. Do you mean like, yeah, you're saying you can do more reading without actually reading more books? Yes. Yes. Totally makes sense. Yeah. I, I think what it is is a lot of people, and I think you and I are both this, we're, we're achievers. We're people who like to do things and check stuff off a list. My The greatest joy of my life is checking something off of a list. If oh, yeah, that is pure joy. If it is not on a list, why am I doing it? Like right now, <laughs> I think we're going to talk about this like in an opposite way, but I'm, I got a Fitbit during quarantine because I realized I was... I did so much It's moving. so funny that we both brought that we both yeah. thought about this same uh, thing. But... but uh, well, my mother was getting rid of her Fitbit, and so she gave me gave it to me. And I was like, "Will I use this?" I didn't like my Apple Watch. Love it. I'm obsessed with it. Um, I realized I was I I was uh, you know during quarantine I was doing a lot more sitting than I normally do. I normally am moving around a lot more. Um, so it was very good for me to realize. Oh, I only took like what forty steps today. That's not great. Uh, so I um, uh, but I I definitely have the thing where like I wouldn't do a workout right now without it because I wouldn't get my steps and cardio time counted towards the end of the day goal. Um, so it's <laughs> I guess the question is, it's a tree falling in the woods question, right? If a book can't go towards your number, is it really read? And that's what people are asking us. Uh, and I think yes. our answer is always yes. Because we talk a lot about, on the show, about how reading is important and that just isn't reading books because reading is going to increase your vocabulary, your empathy, and uh, your connection with yourself. And any kind of reading can do that. And so it is important to go and read an article or something that you think is, you know, it it... it Maybe it just makes you happy. Maybe it improves you. But just taking the time to read that article instead of reading 700 tweets today, I do think is a much is, is a much better choice. And I'm actually going to say, I, I do think obviously reading tweets is a is reading. I don't think I count it quite towards the same as reading something that, you know, an article or blog post. People may not like that, but that's just me. Well, I, I think it's the way it makes you feel. You know, when I when I I haven't been on Twitter in like almost two months now at this point, but. You know, when I reading Twitter makes me feel mo like motion sick. Yeah. Like, <laughs> reading an article doesn't do that. Uh, I do think there seems to be like this powerful underlying urge that we all have to have the reading we do count, you know, like, quote unquote, officially. And I think maybe it's because there are a lot of teachers or librarians out there, like not the amazing ones that listen to our show, that say that certain things aren't real reading, like mm -hmm. comics or graphic novels or audiobooks or whatever. It's, you know, 
trash baby opinions. Uh, but if you've done the quote unquote work of reading something, a lot of people wanted to quote unquote count. Uh, so I think apps like Goodreads sort of step into that teacher or librarian role and say what does or doesn't count as reading. Um, my, my own example of this is how my, my iPhone tracks my steps every day. And I don't carry my phone around all the time. I actually leave it at home when Jeremy and I go for our daily walks. And it started really bothering me that when you look at my step tracker, it's like, Mallory, you don't walk enough. Uh, but in real life, I, I have I, we, we go on walks all the time. And it started really bothering me more that I was letting my iPhone tell me what parts of my life weren't official or real because I wasn't carrying it around. And, you know, those tracker apps are designed to get you to use them, you know, Fitbits are, are make you want to are designed to make you buy them. iPhones are designed to have you want to. Oh, oh gosh, my iPhone carries my or tracks my steps. I should have it with me twenty four hours a day. I should just strap it to my forehead. Um, but they don't. You know, they don't control our lives. You know, this is it's a this is a long winded way of saying that I think if part of your reading life doesn't fit into an app or website you're using, don't use that app. You know, make your own. Yeah, totally. Um, I think it's very funny we have the opposite view of our step counts. Um, and look, I I will be the first to admit, like, I am guilty of this too, so y'all do not need to feel bad. I have a short story my mom gave me to read sitting on my desk that I haven't gotten to because it's not on my list and I can't check it off when it's done. So it's this weird thing <laughs> where I can't constantly look at it and I go, but that's not on my that's not going to have to be returned to the library soon. So it's it's a tough thing where I'm not it's not quite the like check off happiness that I get. And I know that this is personally just something I'm always going to be struggling with. I'm always going to struggle with being an achiever. I loved getting good grades in school. I loved achieving things and I still do. And there is certain, certain things about me that is very mechanical about it. And I, I know that about myself. And so I also am saying like, don't feel bad if this is something you struggle with. I was going to say, I totally agree. I mean, we're both the same way. And this is one of the many reasons why I sort of gravitated away from using Goodreads because it was making me, besides the fact that it was making me think like, oh my God, other people are going to th see this book rating that's starting to affect how I want to rate this book. Um, it was just making me, it, it was making reading, like counting, getting reading counted more important than the actual reading itself. You know, and it was also making me read finish books that I might not n normally have finished because I didn't really like them, but I was like, Oh God, I've already put the time into this and this will count towards my end of the year reading goal. And there, I, I think everybody has this, you know, why do anything unless it either counts on an app or can be posted on your Instagram. Like we mm -hmm. all have the, the internet and a lot of these apps have created this weird, like, Oh, well things don't count unless they exist in the internet in some, some way. Um, and that's, you know, again, why I've sort of started gravitating away from it because it was affecting my reading life. But I really think that no matter what, if you like something, whether it's a web comic or a novel, you reading it and enjoying reading it is the most important thing. And every, the way that you use reading trackers or reading apps should, it, it, it should be molded around that instead of the other way around. You know what I mean? I think you, you should worry more about what you want to read than whether or not that thing you want to read can count towards something, you know? For sure. And I'll just say, like, I know we're shitting on Goodreads a little bit, and I don't mean to at all. I, I use Goodreads on a regular basis, and I actually really love that I'm friends with all the glassers on there because I go and look at what y'all write. I go and look. When I'm thinking about <laughs> reading something, I go and look at the stars you've given. I go and look and see if you've written little reviews. I, like, I go and check those out, and it, it does tell me 
about whether or not I should read that book. And I see what you're reading. And that also affects me because I'm like, oh, wow, I've had like seemed like three people read this book. Like I should definitely check this out. So there are really positive things to social media, uh, which Goodreads is a social media app. And um, I, I mean, I think that that there are really great things. I think it's just I think we're saying find a way to personalize it. You don't have to fit into the mold of of what a company tells you you need to do. You can have your own, hey, I read this webcomic. And however, if if you do need to post it publicly somewhere, find a way to do that. But also we're telling you, you can just count it towards your your goal list. That's fine. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the, besides the fact that it's used to sell books, uh, one of the the perks of being able to track something on an app like that is, you know, the shareability of it. Yeah. You can send it to somebody or other people can look at it um, or link to it. And, you know, that's what the internet is is all about. And so there's a a lot of positive that comes from it. But I think there's a lot of folks who are fan fiction readers or webcomic readers or individual comic readers um, that sort of feel like a lot of their reading falls between the cracks. Um, and I think you were totally right. I just don't, don't feel bad about it. Don't feel if you are, are stressed out that the reading that you're doing isn't counting, like it's okay. We get it. I, we, we love no, nothing makes me, I used to, one of the reasons why I used to love Goodreads is looking at like that printout at the end of the year. It tells you all the books that you read. It just, it is very satisfying. Mm. Like, knowing that when you're putting work into something that like it's going to count in some way. But I think the most, like we're saying, the most important thing is, do you like reading them? Are you enjoying yourself? And if you're enjoying yourself and it's adding some t- something to your life and you love getting up every morning and spending 10 minutes reading a webcomic, then that's the most important thing. And y'all, you're certainly allowed to keep sending us your questions like this and we will keep telling you it's reading. So don't worry. It's we're reading. here for you. We're going to keep telling you it's we reading. Need- Send us the, your weird we- questions about the weird thing you're reading. You're reading the back of a cereal box. You're reading. <laughs> <laughs> we should get like two little signs that say like reading and not reading and like be able to hold up. Um, and it's just always reading. <laughs> it's always reading. Oh, every single one. The buzzer. We should. I, we'll, we'll get a big buzzer that says reading on it. Great. And then it. every time we <laughs> someone writes in, we'll we'll hit it. Um yeah, we are we are always here, but folks, if you are if you're wondering, the answer is probably going to be it fucking counts. It's reading. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking reading. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. Uh and we actually got some help with these existential reader questions from amazing author Annalie Newitz. So here we are with author and journalist Annalie Newitz. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back. So most important question, what are you reading right now? So I'm always reading two books. This is kind of my personal rule. Um, One is nonfiction. So the nonfiction book I'm reading is called Dark Emu, and it's by Bruce Pascoe, and it's an amazing history of ancient agriculture in Australia dating back about 45,000 years. And it's sort of a retelling of Australian history from an indigenous perspective. It's super awesome. And then the fiction I'm reading is the sequel to Witchmark by C.L. Polk. It's called Storm Song. And it's just like all kinds of like gay environmental magic in a secondary world. And it's the greatest and it's crack and I love it. Oh, those sound amazing. And it's Cool, because I, I feel like you write both kinds, fiction and nonfiction. Uh, so it's great that you also read that, which is very cool. <laughs> I try. <laughs> so tell us about your new book, uh, Four Lost Cities. 
Yeah, Four Lost Cities is nonfiction, and it's a book I spent about seven years writing. It's about new archaeological discoveries that shed light on how people lived in ancient cities. Some of these cities go back about 9,000 years. And what I wound up focusing on was why people abandoned those cities after building them up and living in them sometimes for centuries or even more than that. Um, in one case, people lived in the city for about 1,500 years. Um, so it's kind of about the life story of cities. Um, and it's a lot of uh, me getting really dirty in the mud and kind of following archaeologists around and begging them to tell me secrets about ancient cities. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, um, it, was quite, uh, it was quite a journey. And I'm really excited that it's out now. Well, I was telling you off air, it is fantastic. I think our listeners would really like it. And it's very clear to me that you worked on it for seven years because it has a lot of information, but it's super accessible. So if anybody is worried about reading a nonfiction book that they don't know anything about, I don't know anything about any of these cities. So it was it was really great. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I liked I liked the fact that I was able to do a lot of storytelling with the cities. Like each city has kind of a life story. And so you get to meet people in the cities and kind of follow the streets around. And so it felt Except for the fact that I was rigorously sticking to facts, it felt a little bit like writing a novel. Well, speaking of that, I've only read your fiction before this. So, but you you often switch between fiction and nonfiction, and you started right. You originally started as a nonfiction writer, as a journalist, right? That's right. Yeah, I was working as a journalist for more than ten years before I ever wrote a novel. Wow. Okay. So, is that difficult? Can you talk to us about uh, sort of the difference between writing those two types of books? Yeah, it is. A, it's it's not as difficult for me as I think it is for other people to jump between them. I think that's just the way my brain works. But, you know, the glorious thing about fiction is that you can make any old thing up you want. You can lie as much as you want and you don't get in trouble. You know, in fact, that's what they're paying you to do. <laughs> so um, <laughs> as a as a journalist who writes pretty much exclusively about science and technology, um, you know, accuracy and factual uh, writing are really important to me. So it feels like this kind of, I get this kind of giddy feeling of getting away with it when I get to fiction where I'm like, what? I don't have to fact check this. Like I can just say that this is happening. Like, wow. Um, Cause journalism can be frustrating when, you know, a story unfolds in a way that it doesn't make sense to you or kind of goes against what you thought was going to happen. Um, and, you know, part of, doing good journalism is making, allowing the reader to kind of follow along and see like, oh, facts don't always fit our preconceptions or mm-hmm. facts are sometimes really fucking complicated. And especially with science, oftentimes you have several different people with different hypotheses about the same thing. And so um, that's, to me, that's a very hard thing to write, to make it both accessible and entertaining, but also accurate. Whereas in fiction, I feel like um, at least I don't have to worry about being accurate. Although, of course, I always put a lot of real science and history in my fiction, but I still get to just make shit up when I want to. Like, it's like, oh, oh, faster than light travel, whatever, hand wave, hand wave, hand wave. We have some kind of wormholey thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that that was, um, it was interesting in your book because I feel like there are so many preconceived notions about these lost cities, uh, quote unquote lost cities. Um, both from the public, but also from even these archaeologists and and uh, and science writers' point of view. So I, I thought that was really interesting that you got into like 
what we think of with lost cities and and just different philosophies and theories and uh and and the way uh the way we look at civilization has sort of clouded our view of lost cities. Yeah, I mean it's interesting how much the stories we tell ourselves kind of blind us to reality and that's a little bit of what I was getting at when I was talking about journalism where like we have a lot of preconceived ideas even if we don't realize it and then the facts kind of rip our hair off because it's like oh wait I didn't know my skull is bare now help um <laughs> and so I think with lost cities because it is such a rich area in fantasy like there's Atlantis there's you know all kinds of other um imaginary cities that um you know that kind of pop into our heads when we think about it uh but in in real life of course um cities don't really get lost uh, it's very, very hard to lose um, an enormous um, urban space. Uh, sometimes they are abandoned um, and people stop living there, but there's always a few people at least who, who know that they're there. And that was one reason why one of the, the four cities in the book I picked is Angkor, uh, which mm. is now in Cambodia, which is at the heart of this massive Southeast Asian empire called the Khmer Empire. And um, it's the classic city that you see like in the first Tomb Raider movie. It's got all the temples with the, the trees that have like driven their roots in between the stones and they're crumbling in this beautiful way. And it's in the middle of the jungle because it's a tropical area. So it's, you know, jungle grows there. Um, it's not like some mystical thing. Um, and, you know, when Europeans first stumbled across Angkor in the 19th century, they really thought that they'd found something that nobody else knew about, even though there were monks living in the city and taking care of it and farmers living there. But those were were Khmer people. They, they were, you know, Southeast Asian folks in, in Cambodia. And so for Europeans, they just didn't count as people. And that's a perfect example of how we get blinded by these preconceived ideas is that, oh, well, if Europeans didn't know about it, it must be lost. Um, and that was kind of the dominant idea about these cities and a big part of what, um, you know, modern archaeology is is overturning and saying, like, nope, these are cities that even after they were abandoned, were a vital part of their cultures. They're not part of collapsed or lost civilizations. They are merely the history of living civilizations. And that's where it gets really interesting, because then you start to think about, oh, well, what does this city mean now? And what did we learn from building this city? And what did the people in this area learn that made them say, actually, screw that city, we're leaving, we're building different cities now. Um, and that's kind of the meat of the book is thinking about like just ordinary people in those ancient cities and what it was that happened that made them change their minds about living there. Um, and there's a lot of lessons for today, um, specifically about good governance in cities and um, climate management, uh, infrastructure repair, just basic stuff that you need for a city. Yeah. What? Well, I, I mean, yes, I loved that. The other thing I will just touch on is that I do love this idea that people came in. I mean, I love this, that the Europeans came into these cities. I believe it was, I believe it was that city where they came in and they're like, must be aliens that made this. Like they could not <laughs> believe. <laughs> no, well, Angkor definitely, but, but actually that was the city of Cahokia, which oh, is, oh, right, okay. right. It's an indigenous city outside uh, St. Louis um, in Southern Illinois. It's across the Mississippi from, from St. Louis. Yeah. And when Europeans found Cahokia, when they stumbled across it and it wasn't lost because in fact, the Cahokia tribe was living there, right. um, they were like, there's these giant earthen pyramids. 
well, indigenous people couldn't have made that. Uh, must be Egyptians that came over in ancient yeah. times, or maybe yeah. later on we think it's aliens. You know, it's always it's white people are obsessed with the idea that aliens have built any great thing from a civilization <laughs> that's not European. Like it's like, okay, well, if it wasn't Europeans, obviously it was from space. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not <laughs> I had ever thought about or or I thought about how that is so Eurocentric and so like that's the that idea just yeah dismisses everyone who isn't European. Anyway, it, um, the book is great. Everyone should check it out. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about your podcast. Just t- touch on that because sure. I love your podcast. I'm an avid listener. Oh, um, thanks. And I think you all talked a little bit about it when you were on before, but just for those who haven't heard about it, um, your podcast is called Our Opinions Are Correct. Um, you want to tell people about it? Sure. Yeah. So it's a podcast that I co-host with Charlie Jane Anders, who's also an amazing author and my partner. And she and I have been doing it for about two and a half years now. We've won two Hugo Awards that we're really excited about. Um, and it's a podcast about science fiction and society. So we cover uh, all kinds of topics in science fiction, fantasy, horror, um, but mostly science fiction. Um, and then we talk about um, how that's connected to social trends or science. Um, and we have a lot of scientist guests um, as well as authors. Um, and in a recent episode, we talked about um, PTSD in science fiction and how we can use science fiction to deal with big historical traumas like, say, pandemics or mm-hmm. you know, um, armed insurrection at the Capitol. Um, But we also have fun episodes about things like kaiju, like actually our next episode is going to be about kaiju, which I'm pretty excited about. Yeah, so we cover it all. Heavy stuff and light stuff. (laughs) People should check it out. I I love it. Um, So this episode, it's a bit of a complicated topic, but essentially our listeners are sort of obsessed with this idea of what counts as reading. Um, So, you know, if you can't put it on Goodreads, but you read an article or a single issue of a comic, like, does that count as, as reading? Is it healthy? Um, uh, and so basically, we're trying to, like, talk through that. And we wanted you to weigh in on how you feel about counting books. If you keep up with a yearly number, what you count, what you don't count, and how you even feel about this concept in general. That was many sure. questions. Yeah, no, it's actually, this is something that I'm actually really passionate about, what counts as reading, because... I um, I have a PhD in English and American studies, so I had a lot of very um, fancy and um, sometimes elitist ideas sort of shoved down my throat about what counts as reading, and what's an actual book versus a trash book. Um, and actually, because of that experience going through academia, I have redefined reading to be pretty much anything you can read. Like, I don't like elitist definitions or narrow definitions that say if it's not a book, it's not really reading. I think if you read an article, that's reading. Um, If you read um, a toxicology report, if you read a scientific paper, um, if you read um, the history of your house um, at the city hall library where they keep information, um, that's all reading. It's something that you're learning from. It's something that's filling your brain with ideas and stories. Um, So I'm, I'm really in favor of if you spend two hours a day reading something that counts. Mm -hmm. Um, By the same token, I always, I don't, I don't actually keep a list of what I've read, but I love reading other people's lists of what they read. So keep it up. Like I, I love that. And I just think that those lists should be everything like make a list of like 
every weird security report you read, if like that's part of your job or part of your research, you know, or like, you know, it's like, I read this novel, but then I also did a deep dive into some topic in the novel and it brought me to this weird article from 1972 about what moose do when they're happy or whatever actual thing that happened to me. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, I just think, I think reading is glorious and that we should, um, you know, embrace all kinds of reading. Uh, last question for you. We love to ask all of our guests, uh, what is your reader wheelhouse? Okay. So my reader wheelhouse is, I made you a little list because I was so excited about this idea. Um, love the list. Very excited. Okay. So non-human point of view always sucks me in. Sentient spaceships. Um, mm-hmm. doesn't even have to be a spaceship. It could be a sentient submarine, whatever. Sentient ships, dragons, which kind of is weirdly related to sentient ships. Um, romance with broody nerds, um, always hot. Um, and then political subtext or allegory that's handled really well. So, and if you had all of those in a book, I would be basically <laughs> your slave. I, I'd be yeah, everything. Like non-human POV and sentient spaceships, those could easily be the same. Yeah, same and book. you could have that with dragons. Like it could oh, be dragons yeah. and sentient spaceships, and those could be the point of view characters, and they could be broody nerds who were having sex in the middle of a revolution. So that what? would be a political subtext. So there, there you go. Well, we know what your next book is about. Let's see what it out. Kind of. <laughs> awesome. Well, where can people find you online? Um, they can find me uh, on the web at AnnaLeeNewitz.com. And I'm Annalee in on Twitter. And um, I have an occasional newsletter called The Hypothesis on Substack. And of course, you can listen to me every two weeks at Our Opinions Are Correct. Awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful mods who run our Facebook group and Chrissy and Rachel who moderate our Goodreads page. Remember that you can buy reading glasses, tote bags and shirts and stickers in the Maximum Fun store. They're cute. They're really awesome. We love them. Jeremy wears his reading glasses shirt all the time and it makes me really happy. It's so cute. Uh, There's a link in the show notes if you want to check them out. And if you want to check out our iTunes ratings, we're doing really well. And we would love if you added one, um, please rate and review us on iTunes. It takes you less than a minute. It's amazing for us. It, It helps grow our audience. It helps grow our advertisers. It helps grow our hearts. We feel so fancy every time we look at it and more people are reviewing us on iTunes. Uh, you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Reading Sheet Podcast on our new, refurbished, very active Instagram that Bria has been taking over. It is fantastic. Uh, Reading Glasses Podcast. And thanks for listening. And thanks, thanks for, for reading. reading.